It has been a busy, busy summer. I tell you, there has been travels that have taken place. So many people have been in and out. I know that for many of you, you're ready for school to start just so that you can settle down a little bit. Uh, Sean mentioned earlier that most of our kids are going to be going back to school this week. And he said for them, it's a... Now for parents, woo, there you go, that's right. I knew you were waiting on it. Uh, yeah, for parents, man, this is like, it's like, thank you, Lord. You know, it's, it's like right up there next, I mean, Jesus coming, school starting. That's kind of the um, progression that it goes. And so, hey, we are, uh, we're glad that things are starting to get back to normal. Uh, we're thankful for all the safe travels that uh, so many of us have enjoyed over the summer break. Uh, all of you who are going back to school, you're going to be uh, in our prayers. Teachers, we're going to be thinking about you as well. It's not only time for the children to go back, but also for all of you great teachers. And we so much appreciate you and the time that you give, the service, your skill, your expertise. And so you will be in our prayers as well. A few trips have just been winding down. We just uh, got our Jamaica mission team back in uh, this week. They spent a week in Lucy working there because the Kids are getting ready to go back to school, and they were getting the school supplies for the kids. They were having vacation Bible school time in the morning, doing a teen worship time at night. A lot of great things went on, and we're glad that team's back. We have our Hispanic brothers and sisters. They are on a retreat this weekend. Okay, they're at Camp to Know Him, and they're having a great retreat uh, with one another. And so, uh, if you're looking around and missing some of our brothers and sisters, that's where they are this morning, and they'll be back with us next week. And so, again, everything's starting to wind down and get back into, into the mode, just to the, the usual mode of how everything works. Uh, our family did something, uh, you know, this weekend to kind of get ready for school. Tanya and Emily had a had kind of a mom-daughter uh, evening yesterday, and Micah and I had a um, father-son time. And so, uh, we, yesterday evening, we spent time watching a show called Hard to Kill. Yeah, that's a good dad-father time, right? It is. Uh, it's a show about a Green Beret, former Green Beret, that goes around and attempts different jobs that are very, very dangerous. Those of you that have seen on the Discovery Channel before, Dirty Jobs. Remember that show that used to be on? Well, this is like Dirty Jobs on steroids. Because these are the dirty jobs that will kill you if things go wrong. And so we were sitting down and we watched this and... In this particular episode, he was flying around with test pilots and fighter pilots to see what they had to go through in their job. And so he gets with these test pilots and he's flying around and they're telling him about all the G's that he's going to be pulling and all the dangers that are just inherent with this particular job. And the first piece of equipment that they give him is a parachute. They give him the parachute and, and he puts that puppy on and they say, listen, the only words you really need to worry about is bail out, bail out. That's all you really need to listen for. And he's thinking, I really don't know if I want to do this or not. And so he flies around with the test pilots, he flies around with the fighter pilots, and then he goes and he sees what it's like if you do have to actually bail out of a plane 
Something has gone horribly wrong in the test process. And so he goes and attempts a high altitude, low opening jump. And to do this, he has to go and jump out of the back of a perfectly good airplane. Which to me tells me that this guy is not right. Okay, just not right. But he is there in this perfectly good airplane and he's getting ready to jump. And again, the first thing they give him is the parachute and he's got it on and he's got his helmet on with a visor that comes down and some great friend decides that they will spray water on the visor because they want to simulate what it's like when a test pilot has to bail out at a high altitude and the temperature is so frigid that everything freezes over on the visor. And so they spray him down with water. And again, he's thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. And then the green light goes off. He jumps and he says immediately, everything on the visor just frosts over, which is probably good. Because if I am jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, I do not want to see the ground approaching me at terminal velocity. I don't want to see that. And so he's falling and he's going through all kinds of flips and he's going to have to get himself in a, in a good stable situation. He cannot see anything that's happening until he falls a certain amount. And then finally the visor begins to clear. He steadies himself. And then he says, and to show everyone on television what it's like when you are a pilot and now you have fallen, but now you have to try to get out of your seat that you're still attached to. He said, I'm going to put myself into another spin. And off he goes and he spins some more. And then finally when he gets down to, I don't know, around 7,000, 6,000, 5,000 feet, he reaches back and he pulls the cord on the parachute and it comes out. He glides down and he comes to the camera looking like all those hot shots. Yeah, (laughs) nothing to it, right? What I thought was awesome about watching that, first of all, I don't have to do it. All right. Uh, the, The second thing was that every time he was given a parachute, it struck me that he never asked what color it was. He, 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 never, he never asked if he could have one that fit a little better. He just took what was given to him and he trusted that the person that had packed that parachute, the person that had put it all together, knew what they were doing and that that parachute, when he had to pull the cord, that it was going to work just like it was supposed to. Now think about it for a moment. What if you were in that situation and maybe you and some of your buddies decided that you were going to go and and you were also going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. And the time comes for you to jump and you walk up to the door and and right about the time you're getting ready to go, you, you look at the instructor perhaps that's beside you and you say, wait a minute, I really wanted a blue parachute. Can I have a blue parachute? He says, why are you worried about the color of your parachute? Your parachute is fine. And then he pushes you out the door. Or maybe your buddy comes up and gets there and says, I really get airsick. Can can you promise me if I jump that I'm not going to be airsick? And the instructor says, I've given you the parachute. I've given you all that you need. And then he pushes you out the door. And maybe you've got another friend that steps up and says, you know what? I've really changed my mind. And I've decided that we need to have a different course of action here. No reason to get out of this perfectly good plane. I think it'll be great if, if maybe if I just stay on the plane with you until we all land safely. 
And the instructor tells you, look, I have given you a parachute. It's all that you need. And then he pushes you out the door. The scenario sounds funny when you're talking about parachutes and pilots. But it's not as funny when you're talking about God and grace. It's not as funny when you're talking about God and grace because oftentimes it's the way that we treat God. It's the way that we interact with Him. Because God hears thousands of appeals every single second. Over and over, different requests that you and I have. Things that we would like. Some are very legitimate. We ask God to remove fears. We ask God to make it so that we have safe landings. We ask God to even change the plans. And then he usually answers with a little gentle shove that leaves us airborne and suspended by his grace. I think the Apostle Paul experienced this. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, you know, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. He says, three times I pleaded. Three times I begged. Three times I poured out my case before the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. I've given you the parachute. My power is made perfect in weakness. Why don't you write down on the front of your glory, praise, and honor that there are times when the one thing you want is the one thing you will never get. And guys, for those of you who are younger, for those of you who are just starting out your walk in faith with God, Gracie, I want you to hear this. By the way, woohoo! That's awesome. There's sometimes a thing that you want the most is the one thing that you will just never get. Now look, you're not being picky or demanding. All you're doing is actually just following through with what Scripture says. You're casting your cares upon the Lord. You're asking God for everything that you need. And all you want is an open door. All that you want is an extra day. Just an answered prayer. And you're going to be thankful and you're going to give praise and so you pray, and you wait, and there's no answer. And so you pray a little more, and then you wait a little more, and guess what? Still, there's no answer. And so you pray, and you wait, and you pray, and you wait. So let me ask you an important question. What if you pray and wait, and pray and wait, and God says no? What if he says no? What if the request is delayed or even denied? How do you respond? If God says, I've given you my grace, and that's going to be enough for you. I wonder if, I, I wonder if I'm content with that. That's a loaded word, isn't it? Contentment. The idea that my heart is in a place that I will be at peace even if God gives me nothing than, than what he already has. Why don't you test yourself with this question? Ask yourself, am I content with God's grace? Am I content with God's grace? 
If the only gift that God were to give me was salvation, would I be content? You beg him to save the life of your child. You plead with him to keep your business afloat. You're constantly going to him to speak about the cancer that is ravaging your body and you ask for it to be removed. But what if the answer is, my grace is enough? Am I content with that? Am I content with it? You see, from God's perspective, grace is enough. It is. From his perspective, if he gave us nothing more than salvation, saving us from hell, how could we complain? If God were to save our souls and then left us to spend our lives leprosy struck on a deserted island, would he be so unjust? I mean, having been given eternal life, having been promised forever relationship with God, having been given heavenly riches, do we dare complain and bemoan earthly poverty? And, and yet, let's be quick to say something here. Guess what? God has not just given you salvation. He has already given you grace upon grace upon grace. And the vast majority of us have been saved and then blessed even more. So much so that we can't even count the different blessings that come. But there are those times when God, having given his grace, hears our appeals. And he says, my grace is sufficient. Is he being unfair? You've had those moments before when the prayer that you offered was answered. The healing came. The the job opportunity came through. You were accepted to the school of study that you wanted so much to be at. You had prayed and prayed and you had asked and you had waited and you had been patient. And then there it was, the answer that you had been seeking. And you lifted your hands to the heavens and you lifted your voice in praise and you said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering my prayer. You are the good God. And then did you hear the words of the Lord respond to you? Perhaps just in your heart and say, would I be any less of a good God if things had not turned out the way that you'd wanted? Would I still be receiving your praise this morning if I had not responded last night with my power? Is God still a good God when he says no? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because so often we, we equate God's goodness with God's action on our behalf. And that if God's going to be good, then God must respond to me as I want, when I want. And if things aren't going well, and if there's a downturn in the economy if I'm looking for a job and no one wants to hire me. If it seems like, seems like all my friends are deserting me. If it seems like my health just continues to fail me, then God is no longer good. Because I'm no longer getting the blessings that I want. 
You ever wonder why God doesn't remove temptation from your life? Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've looked and said, Lord, you've given me a thorn in the flesh. This temptation that just keeps coming up. It just keeps resurfacing itself. And I'm wondering, Lord, why don't you just remove it? Have you ever thought that perhaps if he did, you might lean on your own strength instead of his grace? Maybe a few stumbles are what you need to convince you that his grace is sufficient for your sin. Or maybe you wonder why God doesn't remove the enemies in your life. Maybe it's because he wants you to love like he loves. He doesn't want you to love like everybody else. He doesn't want you just to to love like some, some friend that has a love here today and then it's gone tomorrow. Only few people can love enemies. So you're not everybody's hero. So you have those that seem like they're against you. God's grace is sufficient for your own self-image. You wonder why God doesn't alter your personality. I mean, you're a bit rough around the edges. You say things at the wrong times. It seems like you're always sticking your foot in your mouth. You do things that later on you you regret. You question it. And you wonder, why, God, why don't you just make me more like you? And his answer is, I am. Some of you just take longer than others. It's a slow process. And he's not finished yet. And until he is, God's grace is sufficient to overcome my flaws. And you wonder, you say, God, why haven't you healed me? I've been praying. My friends have been praying. My family. It's on every prayer list across social media. It's at every church house. Everyone is praying for me. Or everyone is praying for my child. Everyone is praying for my parent. Everyone is praying for for all of this pain that we're dealing with. You understand that if you're in Christ, that you have a perfected soul, right? And that you will get a perfected body. His plan is to give you the soul now and the body when you get home. Now, he might choose to heal parts of that body before heaven, but if he doesn't, you still have a reason for gratitude. If he never gave you more than eternal life, could we really ask for more than that? His grace is sufficient for my gratitude, no matter what is taking place with me right here and now. And how about you guys that have prayed over and over and said, Lord, I just wish you would have given me some kind of talent, some kind of ability, some kind of skill, something that separates me from others, something that would allow me to be more effective in ministry to your kingdom. It seems like that you poured out all of these different gifts on everybody else. And here I sit, tone deaf and slow of foot and even slow of mind. Understand that God's grace is still sufficient to begin or finish what he began. And until he's finished, remember remember something that the Apostle Paul taught us. The power is in the message, not in the messenger. And his grace is sufficient to speak clearly even though you don't. And his grace is sufficient so that your actions, so that your contributions can be magnified and multiplied beyond whatever it is that you would even think to expect. Because as the passage says, God's power is witnessed in my weakness. 
Is that hard for you? To think that the power of God is oftentimes seen most clearly in your own individual weaknesses? Because we don't like weaknesses. We don't want people to know what they are. In fact, in business terms, think about it. When you're at the office, you never talk about weaknesses anymore, right? There are all these special terms that you use to describe weakness and and these things that are action points and, and these things that we can work on and we can improve, but we never want to talk about weaknesses anymore. And God says, until you acknowledge your weakness, my power is not truly going to be seen in you. Because it's witnessed in the weakness. My power is seen as your body fails. My power is seen when you succumb to temptation. My power is seen when you often look more like yourself than like my son. My power is seen when the enemies want to speak vile things against you and you refuse to return in kind. My power is witnessed in your weakness. Moms and dads, how long did it teach you that one of the hardest things that you would ever have to do as a parent, how long did it take for you to learn that the hardest thing you often have to do is tell your child no? It's a hard thing because as parents, what we want our children to have the best We want them to have more than what we had. We want them to be able to live life pain-free. We want them to be able to have joys. We want to do things to protect them. And so it's very difficult, especially as we are learning as young parents and, and bringing those kids into our home for the first time. The ability to say, no, that's not a good thing. Now, some of these kids over here are saying, my parents never had a problem with that. It was like, can I? No. But you don't know. You're right. No. But the hardest thing to do is to look at your child and say, no, it's not the right time. No, there's not enough money. No, this is not going to be the best. No, we're not going to be able to go on that trip. No, we're just not going to do that today. And yet what? You still love your child? You still pray for your child? You still clothe and feed and and house your child. You still cart them around to all kinds of different events. You Uber them all over creation. But there are times you just have to say no. Jesus would talk about this in relationship to God's goodness and God's grace. And he would say in Matthew chapter 7, he said, you parents... If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. He says, look, you want to give your kids the best. That's what you desire. He says, so if if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? him. He uses this great analogy that that parents, you understand. You want to give your kids good gifts. 
You want them to have the joy. You want them to be able to, to experience life at its highest point. And so when they ask you for something bad, you don't give that to them. When they ask you for something good, you don't give them something bad. But there are those times you say, no, not now. And Jesus says, if we understand this principle, then how much more will God give good things to those who ask him? He's trying to, he's trying to place in front of us the heart of our Father. And he's trying to show us that, you know what? The heart of God is a giving heart. And the heart of God is a good heart. And the heart of God is one that wants to pour out blessing upon blessing and grace upon grace on his children. But like Paul, you have all experienced moments when the answer to your prayer has been, my grace is sufficient because it's the best gift that you could get. It's the best. And so, for all of our kids going back to school, I want you to think about something. Because you're going to hear it a lot this year when you're going to ask to go with friends somewhere, when you are going to ask if you can participate in certain things, when you're going to go and put the hand out and hope that mom and dad become the ATM. I want you to understand that when you don't understand the answer that your parents are giving you, trust their heart. Because guess what? They feed you. They clothe you. They put a roof over your head. They take you to and fro. They have shown in so many ways the care and concern that they have for you. And yet there are going to be times that they're going to look out and they're going to say, no, we just can't do that. No, it's not going to be the healthiest for you. No, that relationship is not best. No, that's not going to be who we are. And children of God, if you have struggled this week with the answers that you have received to the pleadings that you have offered, will you trust the heart of your Father? Trust his heart. Know that he wants more than anything to give you good gifts. And yet there will be times when the one thing you want more than anything else in this world, you do not receive. And instead, you receive his grace. And he gives you a gentle push. And you jump, suspended by the grace of God. Father, I thank you so much for the grace that you have poured out upon us. For the salvation that has come through Jesus Christ. For the love that you have for us. That you would sacrifice your one and only son in order that there might be peace between you and your creation. And that grace has been poured out. And we have received that and we have accepted that grace. And we live in that grace. Father, I pray that we might be content in that grace. 
I know that you have told us to, to bring our cares and concerns to you because you care for us. You have told us to keep on asking and to keep on knocking and to keep on seeking. Father, may we be content in the midst of our pleadings, in the midst of our begging. And may that contentness rise from the fact that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt the heart of our Father. And we know that you are a good God. And we know that you see what is best for us. And we know that you know what we truly need. And we understand that the one thing we might want most in this world is the one thing that we must wait for until the next. And so may we be content with the grace that brings salvation. May we continue to lift our eyes, to lift our hands, to lift our hearts to you in praise, thanking you for your goodness. And during those moments of sorrow, during those times of sadness, during those times of pain, Father, may your power be seen in our weakness. May we be strengthened from within, remembering that your grace is truly sufficient. It's in the name of Jesus, the bringer of grace that we pray. Amen. So I want to invite you this morning I want to invite you this morning to, to jump. I want to invite you this morning to jump and to allow the saving grace of God to be enough. To allow that saving grace to guide you safely home. Oh, I know you've got a lot of other things on your mind and you've got questions and you've got concerns and there are all these different petitions that you take before God. Don't stop. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. But more than anything this morning, I want to ask you to jump and to be content in that grace. And so we're going to sing to encourage one another. And maybe you need to come this morning saying, you know what? I have not been content and I've been angry because I've not gotten the re results. I've not gotten the answer that I wanted. Maybe you need to come this morning and you need to say, you know what? I have held on so long to the sides of that plane and I have refused to jump into God's graceful arms, believing that truly he can save Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ, accepting that grace today. We're going to sing. We're going to encourage one another. And if you're one of those that has always been right there on the edge, then why not today jump? <laughs>